Good afternoon. Um, we're going to jump right in. We have a lot to throw at you for this 30-minute session. Um, can you hear me okay in the back? Yep, awesome. <laughs> All right, I'm Catherine Yurick. I am the uh, social media manager at the Field Museum. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, just some background on Maximo and then the persona work that we did to inform the chatbot project. And I'm Caitlin Carney. I'm the digital content manager also at the Field Museum. Um, I'll talk a little bit about our initial strategy and approach to content development for this chatbot. Hey, I'm Caitlin Pequeno. I'm a senior user researcher at Beyond, um, but when I was working with um, Field Museum, I was at Purple Rock Scissors, an agency out of Orlando. Um, and I'm going to chat a little bit about our look at Dialogflow, the chatbot platform that we used uh, for Maximo, and why we chose it. And then, of course, the star Maximo contact information in the bottom left. <laughs> we will show this again at the end. You'll have plenty of opportunities to chat with him. Uh, and we trust that you won't be chatting with him during our presentation. <laughs> um, so who is Maximo? He is uh, a cast of the world's largest dinosaur, a species of titanosaur called Patagotitan Maiorum, which stretches 122 feet in our main hall and does a really nice job of filling up this sort of cavernous space. Uh, but to make room for Maximo, that meant that uh, we had to move Sue the T-Rex. And that was not exactly a popular choice, even though Sue was getting a much uh, bigger, better suite, and that was going to be contextualized within the rest of our Hall of Dinosaurs. So uh, Maximo had big shoes to fill. Sue is the largest and most complete T-Rex that's ever been discovered. So Sue was really important to science. But Sue is also really important to the Chicago community who maybe grew up seeing Sue or now that their parents are taking their kids, going on field trip. There's a lot of nostalgia around this, uh, around this fossil. And you may know that Sue also has a very vibrant Twitter persona. So uh, Sue has been offering up their carnivorous hot takes for about a decade on Twitter. And the success of that account had a lot of internal staff clamoring for uh, Maximo to also get his own Twitter account. But we were concerned about uh, the success that that would see or more likely not see because we knew that um, when Sue started, Sue was one of the first accounts for a museum that was out there with a personality 10 years ago that was pretty novel at the time, and it's really no longer that big of a deal. Um, it's not that it's not a big deal, it's just not that surprising anymore. And also, Maximo is a large herbivore. He's sweet, he's gentle, and uh, Twitter is probably a hostile environment that he would not thrive on. <laughs> so uh, the challenge for ourselves, ooh, and I totally forgot to advance the slide, um, became how can we endear Maximo to the public without setting ourselves up for failure, either by copying ourselves or creating something that nobody really wants? So uh, I think before we get into the solution, which, spoiler alert, was a chatbot, um, want to back up. I think it can be easy to get carried away when um, you're brainstorming uh, to kind of lose sight of what you're actually trying to solve for. So we uh, sort of tried to orient ourselves with uh, the objectives our marketing colleagues had set out. And we realized that in order to endear visitors to this new dinosaur and to make this, ma this massive replica approachable, that uh, we needed to imbue this dinosaur with personality. And we also suspected that people would want to engage with this either by taking selfies with it or touching the cast. Um, so uh, 
we knew from Sue, who turned out to be sort of a good North Star, that um, a name was really meaningful. So Maximo reflects his enormous size, and it's also a nod to his Argentinian roots. And we knew that we needed not just a name, but sort of a backbone. Uh, so the persona that we started to flesh out was informed by what we knew about this species. So uh, Maximo was huge. We knew that he was going to be a little slow, but still very wise. Uh, this species is 101 million years old, so Maximo's not gonna be up to date with current trends or technology, but he is very curious and eager to learn. And we quickly realized in creating this persona that it was a foil to Sue, essentially, and we knew that if we pursued uh, this sort of foil relationship that we could probably have space for both dinosaurs to be beloved, um, objects in the museum and in visitors' hearts. So this early version of the persona that we created felt like enough to sort of let Maximo run wild on social media, sort of take this persona for a test drive. So he did two Twitter takeovers that were tied to different museum events. And that allowed us to introduce Maximo to our online audience, not in a promotional way, look, come see our new Titanosaur, but here's the titanosaur, hear from him yourself. And as you can see from some of the screenshots, um, it piqued visitors' curiosity. So we went a little further with it, and Maximo did a week-long Instagram takeover where he went around Chicago to visit some of the institutions and sort of get to know his city and share his reflections. So he went to the Chicago Bears, the Shedd Aquarium, Museum of Contemporary Art. And again, you can see from the responses that people were really, the, the comments were really encouraging. People were responding in a, in a hopeful way that felt like they were connecting with this persona. And they were, even more importantly, asking questions. Uh, so these takeovers confirmed that we were headed in the right in the right direction with the persona. And they also validated that uh, this persona was sort of platform agnostic. So that was really important for us to take back to some of these internal stakeholders who had initially really been championing the idea of a Twitter account and let them know that this can live in a lot of different places. And it also confirmed the importance of consistency in the, uh, in the persona. So, to be believable, we realized that we couldn't have inconsistencies. So we really worked on developing a detailed persona document that went into Maximo's origin story and background. We sort of fleshed out a uh, dating persona, or a dating profile rather, talked about his likes, dislikes, hopes, fears, dreams, um, and even built out a Q&A so that people could get a sense of what the tone and style Maximo would be using in a written response. And this would really come to inform the chatbot content that Caitlin and I worked on, uh, giving us guidelines and sort of serving as a reference when building out Maximo's responses. So I'm gonna pass it to Caitlin, who will go into uh, our initial strategy and content around the, uh, the chatbot. Um, so after we sort of figured out who Maximo was, what his personality was, um, the next big question we wanted to tackle was what kind of interaction should we build and what platform should we use, where should that live? Um, as Catherine mentioned, we were pretty sure we weren't going to create a brand new social media account. One initial idea was to build a chatbot that would run on Facebook Messenger. Um, so we worked with our in-house audience insights team to do some like very initial proof of concept user research. So we did a card sorting activity with visitors in the museum. 
um, had them rank a variety of different ways that they might want to interact with Maximo. Um, so this included Messenger, it included texting, it also included some things we knew we probably weren't going to do, but we wanted to get a sense of where people's interests um, were. So just the kind of very simplified uh, results of this user research. Um, the highest ranked ones were a YouTube series about Maximo and taking selfies, which people were already kind of doing on their own. Um, the lowest ranked turned out to be Facebook Messenger, um, so that was good information for us to have. And then texting fell kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, so we really debated the platform. We may have gone against this user research in some ways, um, but we had to consider what was feasible for our team, our resources, um, and ongoing maintenance. And we knew we weren't gonna be able to invest in something like a recurring YouTube series or creating a new computer game about Maximo. Um, so texting itself didn't provoke really strong reactions. It's not new, it's not outdated, it's really functional. Um, so as Catherine mentioned, we decided to sort of lean into the personality and we um, took maybe a little bit of a risk that the personality would be strong enough um, that the platform wouldn't be quite as important to users and texting um, and also online chat would be sort of really accessible, something that people could use um, anytime, anywhere. So um, audiences, we tried to define these fairly early on in the project. Um, and explorers is a category that our advertising team uses. It's sort of a predefined group of people, 18 to 49, local to the Chicagoland area. Um, casual learners interested in science like being in the know. And after that um, early user research, we ended up sort of grouping with or without younger kids into that group. And we didn't really set out with kids in mind, but through that user research, we saw a lot of adult child facilitated experiences. So when adults heard, you know, talk to a dinosaur, they kind of assumed it was something for kids. Um, but we really observed a lot of that multi-generational um, enjoyment. So it was kind of an unexpected um, benefit, but also a little bit of a challenge in terms of how do we talk to both of these audiences at the same time. Okay, so then getting into the content, what does Maximo talk about? Um, these were some real visitor questions we heard. Um, what was life like for him? Um, who else lived during the Cretaceous with him? What did he eat? Even how did he die? Um, so this started getting into how do we define the scope of the content. And unlike something like a Twitter account with a real person behind it, we had to be pretty specific about how we define that scope um, because it would determine how much content we ultimately developed and had to maintain into the future. So we knew his knowledge couldn't be unlimited. His persona gave us that guidance of he lived 101 million years ago. He doesn't know a lot of things about modern life. So his knowledge has to be limited in certain ways. Um, we talked about the idea of customer service and this was really appealing because of the idea that it would make this a more useful tool. So that someone could be in the museum and ask where the nearest bathroom was or get sort of like tailored recommendations for exhibitions. Um, and we ultimately realized that this wasn't something we could support from a technology standpoint. Um, so we really went for what would make it fun and engaging, plus also combine a little bit of our educational mission with science and paleontology. Um, something we sort of recognized in retrospect was that determining scope really goes hand in hand with user expectations 
much farther down the road. So it's helpful to think about how you might describe or categorize content as you're getting started. Um, so organizing content. Currently we have 15 different topic areas that cover Maximo's life, a little bit about other dinosaurs, some general museum visit tips, and even conversation, just small talk about the weather or telling a joke. We used Airtable to organize all of our content and it's really helpful to decide on a clear naming system from the beginning. This makes it easier to reference what you already have and also expand that content in the future. And then document your decisions. Um, content was kind of a long ongoing process through the duration of developing this. So we came up with some guiding principles along the way. Um, this even came down to like basic sentence structure, like we have to answer the question directly first before we can think about adding in humor. Maximo's responses should also help keep the conversation moving so it's not all on the user. You won't see a lot of yes or no responses from Maximo. He gives a lot of suggestions if you don't know what to ask or he'll sort of like help redirect the conversation if it comes to a dead end. Um, and now I'm gonna pass it over to Caitlin who will talk more about bringing these conversations to life. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> um, so I was part of the team um, at Agency Purple Rock Scissors that helped to bring, as Caitlin said, the intents of the chatbot into an actual technological solution. Um, so figuring out how does this work with the website, how does this work um, for the texting application that um, Field had decided was going to be the best use case for uh, Maximo. Um, so when we dis when we started talking about picking a chatbot platform, um, we really had to consider like what kind of chatbot we're designing for, and this is true when you're designing any type of chatbot. Um, in general, there's so many different ways you could you know taxonomically categorize chatbots, but a, one really common way is to think about whether they're conversational or transactional. Um, so like a good transactional chatbot example that everyone may or may not have used is something like a Facebook, Facebook Messenger bot like Expedia or um, something along those lines using a chatbot to fill a coffee order. Something with a really predefined conversion goal is something that's really transactional. And then on the other hand, um, there are conversational bots that um, need to handle conversation in nonlinear ways um, with questions that may or may not follow each other. Um, and it's this type of chatbot that Maximo really is, and I think one of, it's one of the reasons that um, com conversation with Maximo can be kind of so satisfying is because it's not necessarily getting to one particular conversion, but rather um, really fostering that idea of discovery that was evident in the early user research that field did. Um, so when we decided which chatbot platform really was the, the one that we really wanted to use, we decided on um, Dialogflow, which is a Google um, chatbot product. Um, it has the conversational flexibility that um, really allowed for that nonlinear, natural conversational experience. Another reason that it was really good um, when we decided on it was that it uh, had a pretty easy to use um, content management uh, ability. Um, so other systems that we looked at um, were not quite as user-friendly from a back-end perspective. So having that um, scalability was important, and so we decided that that uh, was, a good, was a good reason to use it. And then lastly, um, our, team of, our development team was also um, most pleased with its technical capabilities and ease of implementation into the existing website, since it was going to be both a web bot and a text bot as well.
So there are pretty, there are three things I think um, I'd like to go through just in terms of pretty much what are the, what are some guidelines in terms of how do we actually execute on a chatbot? Like what are the technical things to think about that are like natural extensions of the content strategy Caitlin was talking about before? And one of those things um, we've talked about a little bit already um, is framing that conversation up front. Um, so this ties into that um, user expectation setting. Um, chatbots are not exempt from this, you know, common user experience heuristic of setting expectations. So when we're in a conversation with someone in the human realm, um, we generally know what we want out of the conversation. Um, it's just kind of this like unspoken accord you have with someone where you're talking to someone and you know what you want out of the conversation and a good conversation usually results when both people get what they want. We're like, yay, this is a great exchange. A good conversation is like an alignment of that. And that's the same is true for chatbots. Um, once users can know what Maximo, or once users know what Maximo can do, um, we had the hypothesis that they're gonna be much more likely to engage with him successfully. Um, so on the next slide, um, you can see a little bit of an example from our Dialogflow platform. Um, it's a little small, sorry, but um, basically saying, um, uh, sh showing you know, how Maximo is able to frame what he knew when users asked him a question. Um, since he's not able to field every particular question um, successfully when you ask, you know, cool, where were you discovered? Um, that was a natural lead-in from the framing that he had right away. Um, the user testing that we did throughout the project that we continued um, revealed that they didn't know what he knew from his opening statements alone. So when your chatbot just says, hi, hello, um, what can I help you with today? That can sometimes not be enough to really spark the rest of the conversation. Um, so because of that data, we decided to include a speech bubble um, with a statement about what Maximo knows when users load his exhibition page on the website in order to address that, which we'll, we'll show in a later slide. So then the second thing that um, we liked to con we wanted to consider was what happens when a user inevitably asks Maximo something that he doesn't know about? Like technically, how are we going to address that? Um, and as we can moved on with user testing, which we conducted both in the museum um, with visitors as well as um, you know, looking back through training data, which Dialogflow provides and quantitatively assessing whether you know, a conversation was accurate or not, um, it became clear that um, some of these error responses were causing some confusion and frustration. Um, and what I mean by an error response is anytime you ask a chatbot something and it returns, sorry, I didn't get that, or can you say that again? Um, because of this, we, we basically realized there was a really interesting opportunity not just to provide this standard error message, but rather um, listen for patterns in what users were saying in order to give them um, a more personalized experience. And this is, I'll kind of read out this example as it goes for people that can't see, but um, one of these examples would be, you know, do you, do you think that the Cubs will win this year? Uh, Maximo doesn't know the answer to that. He doesn't necessarily have an opinion on that right now, but he's able to reframe that conversation to, into something that he does know about by offering um, what a lot of times we call in chatbot design a happy flow, so redirecting somebody back into um, a conversation that he can answer. I think the next slide shows it also in the dialogue flow interface. Um, another question, um, why is the, oh, who is the president? He doesn't know. Stumped again. Stumped. <laughs> the Cretaceous hadn't yet heard of presidents. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then lastly, um, the last thing we really wanted to do to build on the work that, um, the really great work that Field had done 
crafting the persona of Maximo. Um, as Catherine's already mentioned, Maximo's personality like took a lot of strategy. Um, the museum is pretty crowded with very charming dinosaurs already, so how are we going to imbue this chatbot um, with personality and obviously not make it human, because that's usually where a lot of chatbots fail, right? When you talking to it and you realize it's not human, it's like, well, yeah, I knew that, but it's frustrating, right? So how could we use personality as a way to make that, that kind of transition easier? Um, especially in the realm of handling messages and guiding his conversation when people were wrong, or when they asked him a question he couldn't answer. Um, so this is just a fun example of that in action. Um, what does it say? How come you don't like hamburgers? I think is what it is, yeah. How come you don't like hamburgers? Maximo's a, um, a vegetarian dinosaur, so <laughs> um, I think he said, what does he say? I can't read it. Uh, let us focus on the things we enjoy in life, no? Yeah, so <laughs> a, good, a good example of how he, his like, unique spirit really kind of is able to come through, and that was all these guys um, crafting that. So how did this really, how did this do? Um, you know, a last, a last part of, you know, really assessing whether or not a chatbot was successful or not, and I use that in air quotes, um, was to uh, uh, very um, systematically assess its progress over time and how it's improving. Um, so what we did was uh, kind of track uh, the number of conversations from May to October. It turns out that there were over 7,000. Um, initially in um, some of the soft testing that we were doing, um, he had around a 72% accurate response rate, and we were able to improve that with some training that we did between the soft launch and the public launch of the chatbot, which was really great. Um, the average conversation length turns out to be around six, me six messages, and he really likes talking about food, what he looks like, and how old he is. So <laughs> those, are, those are some hot topics with Maximo. Um, but some of the next steps um, for this, um, and you guys feel free to jump in on this, but um, one challenge with dialogue flow is, is keeping up with training data. As you might imagine, uh, depending on your traffic um, to your website or you know whatever, however you choose to implement your chatbot, you're going to get a lot of data. Um, so keeping up with training the chatbot really ensures that it meets users' expectations down the road. Um, it's not possible to train every single query that comes in. Um, I assure you guys can can <laughs> agree. Yeah, so Catherine and I have the opportunity to read every single question that comes in. Um, we don't read all of them, but we typically try to um, fix the longest conversations because it's more likely that there will be errors in the long conversations. Um, sometimes people are having like 25 query long conversations with him. Um, but yeah, there's quite a lot of data still coming in regularly. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a good way to sample that data to train the conversations that will potentially have the biggest effect on improving the machine learning behind um, his brain. Um, and then in terms of next steps, um, there's a lot of cool features to Dialogflow um, that extend beyond using um, machine learning to match um, what users say to intents that you load into the chatbot. Um, some of those things are contexts and entities. I won't get too deep into what those are, um, but contexts are an interesting feature that help um, Maximo remember previous queries in a conversation, and entities are something else that allow um, chatbots to pass in really um, predefined information to make a conversation more rich. So for example, if a user were to ask Maximo about ferns, and then refer, like, which a lot of, he really likes to talk about ferns, um, and then refers to ferns as them, 
you know, some sort of indirect pronoun. Um, by default, Maximo won't be able to remember what the user is talking about, um, but you can kind of configure Dialogflow to do that. And so that allows the conversation to be more natural. Um, and then I think there's also um, some potential plans for translation of the chatbot in the future. Um, that was something that has been discussed. So some next steps for um, where Maximo could grow, even though he's very old already, there's still room for him to grow. So I think that's our part. Um, we have about five minutes if anyone has any questions. actually doing a lot of reading into chatbot accessibility recently. Um, I'm not, I can't really say for sure from a Google perspective, but I just from like an implementation perspective and you know, feel free to chat with me afterwards or chat or, you know, about some of the specific things you're, you're thinking about. But um, in general, a lot of the accessibility guidelines that apply to websites can apply to chatbots too. So like making sure that it's accessible for screen readers. Um, another common thing is placing it in an area that's really familiar to users, so keeping it in the bottom right-hand corner is, a lot, is an oftentimes like an affordance that people um, recognize. Um, those, those things are, are some things that can really help, um, but I, there are probably, there are way more specific things we could get into, but those are just some high-level things. Not so much with, with Google's inter like application particularly, but just some high level things. Yeah. So um, we are, I work for the state of North Carolina and our state library tried to do a chatbot and what we ran into was lots of teen messaging with sometimes threatening things and violent things that would put everybody on lockdown and we eventually had to just turn the chatbot off mm -hmm. um, because they would get, as the messages came in, if they couldn't answer it, then it would get flagged and then, then they would personally message with the person to try to help them. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we've definitely seen more conversations with teens than we expected, I think. Yeah. Or who we <laughs> perceive to be teens based on their language, but yes. maybe adults. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did, shortly after the public launch, we did create a new intent that I think we called like inappropriate or something. Um, and Maximo responds very politely in typical fashion, being like, if you would like to have a nice conversation, we can talk about these things. Um, I think also just the fact that it is like a dinosaur personality kind of lets people like suspend their disbelief like a little bit further like they just don't have the same expectations as they would if they were talking to a person um, I don't know yeah and for better or for worse we aren't reviewing these in real time and people I think are pretty aware that there's not a, a, a person chatting behind the scenes with them and so that might help sort of shift those conversations in a different way. But we do, I mean, we see as many sort of just spam conversations as we see people that are actually seeking to get the, the experience and the engagement with it. It is the internet. <laughs> we, we were also surprised that we were getting a lot of conversations where people were just sort of like telling Maximo about their lives or like what they were doing. 
and we hadn't planned for that, um, so we developed some new intents to respond to that. But it, I don't know. I feel like that only speaks to like people are interested in having like some on some level a relationship with a dinosaur. <laughs> and I do think it'd be kind of interesting to look at you know the number of text-based versus web web message yeah. conversations and see if there's any trends in which ones happen to be more spammy. And I assume that the ones that come in via text would be a little bit more legitimate, if you say, um, rather than the web where I feel like it might just be like, I'm a kid in between class, I'm sort of wasting time, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's a great question, do you remember? I don't know if we have that data. Yeah, I think there are some, just in the, the way that we had to configure analytics for the platform, there's no, I don't think there's a clear way to tell of the, the platform differences right now. Um, since Dialogflow kind of ports the data to both places. Um, but it could potentially be something um, that we figure out in the future. Are you using the shortcut or anything else? No. No. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.